odd how you can detect fear in someone. Is it the look on another's face? Is it the stiffness in their body? The slightly higher pitch of voice as their vocal cords constrict. They say dogs can smell fear. I can't smell it, but I can spot it. Decades of leading and following soldiers, decades of practicing law, decades of observing people have taught me well the tiny ticks denoting fear. The young airman standing on the flight line under the canvas awning shading the concrete pad outside that VIP waiting area at an unnamed airbase on the Arabian Peninsula was afraid. His voice didn't quiver. His hands didn't shake. But I could read the fear in his body's tension. What could he be afraid of, I wondered? Young, mocha-tinted skin, about my size, maybe 5'8", younger and thinner, probably 155 pounds, not more than 20 or 21 years old, a two-striper, so he's got less than the two years or so it takes to make that third stripe as an Air Force enlistee. He was wearing that ubiquitous camel uniform that says, Mama dresses us all alike. The same camel that all of us who serve the demands of Uncle Sam, or as the more cynical say, Uncle Sugar, meaning the United States of America, wear. Oh, it comes in slightly different patterns, slightly different shades, but always baggy, always with side pants pockets big enough to carry an MRE. That's meal ready to eat for you civilians. He wore no Kevlar vest, nor a helmet to slow the slicing path of roadside bomb shrapnel or the impact of a 7.62 millimeter AK-47 round. What the hell is he afraid of? For Christ's sake, we're on a joint civilian military use airbase, hundreds of miles from Iraq and a couple thousand miles from Afghanistan. Three hots a day, an air-conditioned tent, and overseas pay, maybe even the tax-free joy of combat pay. Nice duty if you can get it. Sure, you're away from home, no sex, no booze, but you'll go home after this tour with some cash stashed back and a multicolored ribbon above your dress uniform left breast pocket saying, I was there. Somewhere. Doesn't say it did anything, just that I was there. The light breeze blowing across the bare sand is hot, but not sticky like the summer Midwestern breeze I know so well. The sun hotter yet, broken only by the awning's shade. The young airman stands behind a military-issue green metal table. Carefully arranged in military precision, a line of M9 Beretta 9mm pistols, with each pistol two magazines. Behind the pistols, the web belt, magazine pouch, and holster stamped U.S. Next to the line of semi-automatic pistols, clipboard, with but a single sheet listing the model number, nomenclature, and serial number of the weapon, followed by blocks for name, rank, serial number, and signature of the military member accepting responsibility for the government property. Behind me, the glass door silently slides open, belching a cooling draft of air-conditioned air as another general walks out to join me. The C-130 Hercules squats on the ramp as air crew and ground crew members run through their checklists to ensure the aircraft capable of flying over water, staying aloft through the mountainous terrain of Pakistan, and just as importantly, the guidance systems perfectly tuned to keep us out of hostile Iranian airspace. The dull gray herky 
with its four prop-driven engines, has been hauling beans, bullets, and bodies, both dead and alive, since Vietnam. The first two digits of its serial number tell me the year the Air Force bought it, decades before most of my soldiers were born. The spare utility of the well-worn military transport stands in stark contrast to the lounge I've just exited. While small by major U.S. or European executive airport lounges, it's richly tiled and walls covered with luxurious, if oddly designed, wall hangings. The complimentary fruit and beverages, not unlike that found in the airports I passed through getting here, except no alcohol, no women, only men. Men dressed in the flowing robes of Middle Eastern aristocracy or the unpressed camo of senior American officers. The whoosh of cool air announced two American two-star generals, who, like me, are Afghanistan-bound on the aging Hercules. Their weary faces, etched with the fatigue of overnight flights from the States to Europe, hours idled in bustling airports, awaiting that next flight to the Middle East. The young airman, generals now in hand, begins his litany, one that he's obviously given many times. Sirs, once I issue you your weapon, you cannot go back inside the lounge. If you step inside the door with weapon or magazine, or even the holster, you will be arrested by host nation security. This immediate outside area is leased to the U.S. government and considered U.S. sovereign territory. But if you step inside the VIP lounge, you are back in the host nation. Now, host nation is military speak for any foreign country that U.S. soldiers happen to be in. He went on. It is illegal for weapons or even rounds or holsters to be brought into their territory. The three grain heads bob in understanding. The airman continues. With your weapon, I am issuing you two magazines. The magazines are loaded with seven rounds of live ammunition each. Do not place your magazines in your weapons until such time as you are authorized to do so. Now, the magazines have a capacity of 14 rounds. It's not that we're not trusted with 14 rounds, but rather the notoriously weak springs in the government-issue magazines have a tendency to fail if pushed to the limit too often. Therefore, only load them to half capacity. Why not buy better springs? Damned if I know this is the Army. The sun-baked airman goes on. If you need to use the restroom, I suggest you do so before I issue you your weapon. The airman is clearly aware of the sometimes shortened bladder capacity of old soldiers. We glance at each other. Now nah, we're good. Sirs, I'll need to see your ID cards before I issue your weapon he says. Ah, yes, we could be impersonating American generals. Silently, we each pull out the plastic card, bearing a grainy, unflattering portrait of an unsmiling face. He checks each one against the roster. One at a time, he hands over the flat black steel 9mm, magazines and holster. He turns the clipboard to face us. Please sign here, sir. The 80 or so outbound troopers quietly unload near the cave-like hatch from the blue Air Force buses, pulling duffel bags and rucksacks into their arms as they keep the 5.56-millimeter M4 carbines balanced on their shoulders. I don't detect fear in them, just the weary resignation of soldiers not yet recovered from overnight flights, boarding yet another aircraft, 
bound for yet another unfamiliar hostile fire zone. The fear etched in the young airman's body? The knowledge that if just one of these dumbass old geezers, who probably rode with Custer, walks back through that sliding glass door, his young ass is grass, and two stripes trying to corral two stars is a thankless job. It'll be dawn tomorrow before the lumbering hurricane lands in Kabul. The canvas seats arrayed on either side and down the middle of the cavernous aluminum cave are filled with nodding soldiers. I note the 40 pounds of Kevlar body armor aren't much of a cushion for a dozing soldier as I step gingerly over them, making my way to the rear cargo area with its sheet-shrouded porta potty Should have used the restroom before I drew my weapon.